Welcome to Fusion International Film Festivals, the podcast. Hi everyone, thank you very much for joining us today at Fusion for our latest podcast. To my great delight, I'm actually interviewing Richard Gandhi, who's current brilliant short film, Mater Mortis, and I'll read the synopsis and also a little bit about Rishi. Rishi is actually the director, co-writer, co-producer. Mater Mortis is a short narrative film that asks what the limits of family bonds are under the weight of illness. Rajan must care for his mother, now afflicted with a condition that makes her the living dead. Relations between Rajan and his father fray as tensions rise to a head in this meditation on family, disease and the right to life or death. And a quick biography about Rishi, I just want to read you as well. Moving between the Côte d'Ivoire, the UK and the US, Rishi Gandhi has spent years around the world but decided to make the film his home. Honing his skills on short film, horror schlock, broadcast news and documentaries, Rishi Gandhi is also produced on the web series Beyond the Long Box and Mater Mortis is Rishi's first foray into the world of narrative film and what a first foray. Thank you for joining us, Rishi. Brilliant short film and much like a, a filmmaker I was talking about yesterday, don't really want to talk about the ending. I'm not going to spoil it other than to say really ambiguous ending and the, the final kind of couple of words. That's what I want to say about this film other than fantastic really try and watch it and what a pleasure to introduce you thank you for joining us uh honestly thank you for having me it's it's absolutely wonderful to to see that the film is resonating with people and that it's um getting into really wonderful festival festivals like yours um honestly without good festivals without uh people reaching out being like hey can we screen your film we love it um, I wouldn't be able to keep doing what I'm doing because, frankly, filmmaking is hard as fuck. And 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 you will have many days where you wake up thinking, you know, should I should I quit? Is this it? Am I am I really just gonna give up at this point? But 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 when you when you hear people gelling with something you put a lot of yourself into, it's uh, it's a, it's an absolutely wonderful thing. Yeah, it's a really great thing to say. And this, the the film I was talking about yesterday was a was a short dramatic film. It was it was a woman talking to camera, and there was a brilliant twist at the end. And it was this woman's first. She had worked in theatre, a British actress. Um, this was for her first foray into short filmmaking. And what the irony is that she said almost exactly the same as you about you know I'm glad you know filmmaking is as hard as fuck. I really appreciate that. She said the same thing, but she also said the rewards. She can't. She loves it. You know, it's like a drug. You know, it's really enjoyable. Um, but yeah, now this film is great. I mean, I don't know where to start with this. So well made, the actors, the, the makeup, the story. I mean, where the hell did it all come from? Um, I guess I'll start with the origins of, of where this came from. Uh, so when I was growing up, both in Africa and then eventually the United States, uh, when I moved here at about age 13, kind of post 9-11, my mother, my mother was kind of going off the deep end and it turned out she had bipolar she got diagnosed with bipolar disorder right um and you know later in life I sort of realized my mother actually probably had the disorder my whole life because it it brought a lot of other things into context when I started going to therapy and you know talking to people and even talking to my father about it um but yeah her bipolar disorder really caused a lot of issues in our family like like around 2009, when I, you know, after I graduated college, I, I flew out to Tunisia where my parents were living at the time. And I saw my mom for the first time in almost four years. Cause I, you know, I hadn't seen them in about four years just because of college. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she was in a bad way. Like she had just come off of like being heavily medicated. And I, 
I'd seen I had heavily medicated in the past, but nothing quite like this. And it just, it was one of the most traumatic things I've, I kind of witnessed, like seeing my mother literally barely being there, um, literally because if she was off the meds, she'd go do something crazy. Like, and it, it was, it was, it was a really, really bad time. Um, I don't know if that was the correct treatment for her at the time. Like, I can't claim to know now either, because at least based on my experience, it's, it can go, it can go any kind of way. Yeah. Um, it's a dreadful so, disease. It is. Yeah. Awful. I mean, I know, you know, I, I feel for you because these, her, these terrific highs and lows and horrendous highs and horrendous lows. And it's just, yeah, I know, honestly, I feel for you. It's just so, yeah. Sad. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty terrible. And basically when I came back home to the U S like to kind of recover part of my process was I just wrote a short story called a case of Mater Mortis. Yeah. Um, I shared it with maybe a few friends, then I stashed it away never to look at it again. And uh, my best friend, Renzo Adler, who's one of my co-producers on this film um, for like 10 years, he said, look, you got to turn this into a short film. It's good. Like if mm -hmm. there's something here, you should work on it. I was like, nah, it's too much. It's too painful. I don't, I don't want to deal with it. Like I, I put my feelings in there. I'm done. Um, even my partner, uh, she, she was telling me for years, Hey, you, you know, this would be a prime thing to turn into a short film when you're ready to do narrative. Um, so I, I kind of fell into the world of documentary and broadcast for a bit, even though my dream was always to be a narrative filmmaker. But by the time like 2019 rolled around, I was like, you know, I, I, I should either just fucking shit or get off the pot. I should just make my fucking first narrative film yeah. Yeah. as much as I love documentary and it's easy to kind of get up and go and make stuff and uh, have a ton of documentary credit. Um, I really was like, I need to commit to narrative because it's an hour and everything. And I pulled Mater Mortis off the shelf after 10 years of encouragement. <laughs> and uh, I worked with my friend Dexter John Scott to help shape a screenplay. Mm. Um, and we worked on it together. And while he was kind of writing the screenplay and I was laying out the beats for the screenplay, um, he helped develop it while I was simultaneously trying to get the resources and do all the pre-production planning um, before we got, you know, so so that by the time the screenplay was ready, we'd actually be ready to to tackle filmmaking, which is where all the other stuff regarding your question, like how we got the actors, how we got everything. A lot of that came down to me making a good connect at the Yonkers Film Festival with Alex Armando Torres, who's the logistical heart of Mater Mortis. If I never met him, this movie would have never happened because he literally went line by line with me in the script he was like this is what we need that's what we need we did we did so many script breakdowns together till we knew every little item that was necessary and also at his encouragement to work with um uh the screen actors guild to get some good actors in new york because he said listen we want to make a narrative we want it to be seen the heart of this the beating heart of this is going to be how good our actors are yeah, yeah and we want good actors so let's go with the guild the guild will help us out um so that was a choice we made and yeah it increased our budget but uh, we, you know, we also worked for months ahead planning how our crowdfunding campaign would go and figuring that out. A crowdfunding campaign is not something you do overnight. You should take a few months to plan it out. You should be really smart, methodical, um, be very detail oriented about it and, and figure out how to run it successfully because a lot of it comes down to momentum. And here and in at a one nutshell, point, sorry, Richard, sorry, but here in a nutshell, it's so interesting. We see a film that's 14 or 15 minutes long, but fuck me, I know what goes into it because obviously I speak to loads of filmmakers and you, you've just encapsulated the, the trauma, if that's the right word, 
of actually putting a film together. It is so, so tough. It's not just the finance, it's not just the resources, it's the time, it's the editing. Yeah. You know I, mean? I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? It's so difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult, but that's why it's a team sport, right? Um, we, we always hear these fantastic stories of independent films that they're like, oh, me and my buddies got together, we did this, boom, we won a million awards, great. I mean, if you can pull that off, that's fantastic. It's it's an absolute fantastic thing if you have something that comes together quickly, but um, every every project has its sort of requirements and for me the requirement for this was look i i need a i need a really great lead mm. and i got very lucky in that um my number one choice for the role leo solomon came auditioned stuck around for when one of the leads for the dad showed up siraj huda yeah. and they both had an amazing audition together um you know leo stuck around we we had a beautiful audition with siraj after where they both played off each other and i was like yeah i found my two guys and um, we even took two days to to have rehearsal, so everybody kind of knew where we'd be, what we'd be, we'd be doing for for the days we actually shot, and then we shot it over the course of four days. Um, in I want to say uh, early like early to mid October, twenty nineteen, um, and then <laughs> pandemic hits, and over the course of the pandemic, I edited the film, and then I colored it twice because <laughs> I was kind of. Um, I was taking a lot of time to to learn how to become a colorist, to become a more effective colorist. Uh -huh. So I colored it once at the beginning of the pandemic. And then after kind of improving my skills, I went back as, uh, with some coaching from from my uh, color mentor, Dado Valentic, um, to to improve the color even more. So so now I feel like the film is is much it's it's much more thematically tied both in the auditory side and the visual side. Yeah, absolutely. It's happening to Rajan Rajan. Um, than it was when when I initially colored it. We should I should point out again. Um, it's very difficult to explain to people the color colorization on this. And um, I know Wishy and I talk very briefly about. So I, I do a little bit. Of, I, I can do a little bit of coloring. Obviously not to a pro, uh, professional level, but I know how tough it is to do. Um, and just you know adding any little bit and just make it look seamless and I know you can even with auto coloring it's never enough and it's so such a skill but the coloring on this is exceptionally good you know it's really really good it's like how can I explain it it's got so much layer the layering to it is beautiful you know um so I just want to put it and the sound as well but yeah you've done a fine job on this I have to say thank you uh in terms of the sound I should thank Christopher Robletto Harvey who's uh my sound designer for this I'm 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 obsessed with sound. I'm not super skilled at doing sound design, although I have I have done it in the past. It's not like it's it's not one of my primary skill sets. But um, Christopher was a fantastic collaborator, and uh, he just worked with me super close to like he kept saying, "Hey, I'll stick around to you until it's absolutely perfect." And I was like, "Well, let's let's try to get it to ninety percent and see what happens." But yeah. to his credit, he stuck around till it was perfect and. Um, he uh, he also brought in a couple of flourishes that were wholly his own to it that 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 raised the bar um, of the whole product because I may have an idea of what I think the sound will be but bringing in someone that really knows sound that lives in that world and kind of gets the feeling I'm going for they'll they'll take it to a level that I could never take it and that's one thing even though I'm the director and my name's on this film um, it is the result it is it is the labor of a lot of people coming together. No, absolutely, of course. And can I start for sure very quickly on the, the colouring? And I suppose, and yeah, obviously to the editing. I find if I don't do a little bit of editing or colouring work over even over a month, 
I forget things because there's so many tabs that are open and so many options you can do. And I'm right. like, I sit and go, fuck, what was that to do that? And so I find that I have to force myself to do a little bit every now and again. Otherwise I do, because there is so much to do, isn't there? You know, there's so many little tweaks and changes you can do. And it's like, oh Christ, I can't quite remember how to do that. I don't, you probably don't have that. You're going to just blow me away and I say, no, I don't get any of that shit. Um, I mean, I've, I've been, I've been a post-productional professional since 2012. And, and part of my upbringing in, in that aspect of the industry is to, to never be fearful of tool sets. Um, because oftentimes, especially if you're a professional editor, if you're like, oh, I'm only a Final Cut editor, I'm only an Avid editor, you're kind of holding yourself back. Like, like people that are simply editors, they'll, you know, as their job requires it, they'll learn the new tool set. And once they learn it and the mm. initial two-week hump is done and they're just working at it all the time, like it's not a big deal. Um, I understand where the intimidation around editing comes from. Yeah. I had it at the beginning of my career, no doubt. And, and I told myself, I can't become the filmmaker I want to be, like the filmmakers I admired growing up, like Akira Kurosawa, Zhang Yimou, um, Ang Lee, uh, I'm trying to think, Wong Kar Wai. Like these are all, edit all, these are all directors that, that, that embraced editing because they felt editing was was key to what was was the key thing that separated filmmaking from other arts um and so like i forced myself to take a six week like editing intensive so that i would come out of it not feeling scared and i'm glad i pushed myself to do something so uncomfortable because now editing is such a core part of what i do that um i don't really think about it like if I learn a new tool set, I recently learned how to use DaVinci Resolve for editing. For years, I, I didn't use it because there was no reason for me to use it. But now that I went much deeper into color and it's a real, real key, key skill I have now and I'm no longer intimidated by color, um, using DaVinci Resolve to both color and edit was just the logical choice for, you know, for newer projects I'm working on. Um, but that being said, like whatever your key tool of choice is, like if you're at that stage where you forget stuff for a little bit, that's okay, man. Like, hell, I forget shit all the time <laughs> if I don't use something. It's like, I'm not going to remember, but I got notes. I got Google Docs. I have stuff written on paper that I can always refer back to um, because the, the fact is there's just so much out there. Unless you're actively using your skills, you'll forget stuff. And that's fine. Like I've not touched Media Composer in a few months. I'm sure... I'll have forgotten a couple of key things, but I'm sure once I get back onto a media composer job, I'll just be, you know, once, once I get over like that first couple hours, I'll be okay. Yeah. I remember where everything is. It's just, it's, it's, it's nothing to be scared or intimidated by. It's just, you know, these are just, these are just tools and you're just the operator and would you, you know, you're the artist. Would you say, would you, would you think it's fair to say that um, generally speaking, the bar for editing software, whether it's DaVinci or Final Cut, or whatever you use, um, is pretty high, you know. Is that a fair? Is that a fair thing to say? I know they're all different um, you know, pluses and minuses, but I think I think it depends on the on the age of the software. Personally, I think I think something like DaVinci. DaVinci is actually an incredibly deep tool set when you consider that it's five different tool sets that are kind of kind of integrated together. Um, so on, on first glance, something like DaVinci is incredibly intimidating, but if you just think about it as, oh, I just want to learn how to edit, just stick to the edit tab, learn how to edit, learn how to edit. And, you know, I, I actually feel the technical requirements for color software are significantly higher and the technical requirements for VFX software are significantly higher than editing. Um, I, I think, I think in terms of learning editing, you just have to fucking do it. And once you realize how simple it is, all editing software just really intends to do the same thing. Um, 
And, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a tool set, set to help you get there. Like even, I know a lot of people coming up today with Final Cut or Premiere, they're intimidated by Media Composer. Um, if you want to be an editor, especially in the United States, uh, with like a bigger studio or something, you, you do need to know Media Composer because it's also the only tool sets that's really, really optimized for big team workflows um, in, in, in the film world. Um, and the thing is a lot of film schools teach Media Composer and, you know, it's an older software, but it's rock solid. Yeah, does it take a few extra steps to do this or that in it compared mm -hmm. to say a Premiere or Final Cut or even a Resolve? Sure. Can you, can you make a beautiful film in it? Fuck yes. Like there is no editing software out there that won't allow you to do what you want to do. You know, we have, we're spoiled for choice today. If you want to go out today and make something and you don't want to spend a cent, guess what? DaVinci Resolve has your back. Go fucking learn DaVinci Resolve. Like you want to, you want to get into the Adobe, you know, cloud thing, go for it. Like you can get into that. And if, and if that's your tool of choice, it's your tool of choice. But thinking like, oh, you know, I'm going to pick one tool over the other. And this is my tool forever. It's like, I'm like, okay, I'm what, whatever about it. Like, honestly, being platform agnostic is only going to be your friend. Cause you get, that means you get to pick and choose what's good for your production. Mater Mortis, uh, I edited it in Final Cut because Final Cut just had the tools I needed to, to, to juggle with many, many different cuts and many and to be much more experimental. Um, and at that stage, I didn't know how to use Resolve yet. But if I were to have done the whole thing from the start again, I probably would have edited it in Resolve and then done the color because that way I wouldn't have to have jumped between the two tabs because um, conforming between tool sets is still a step you have to take a lot of the time. Okay, thank you for that. And with Mater, um, two things immediately come to mind. One is, I know you, you were saying about the um, your mother and, and being bipolar and the script kind of coming from there. Was that, when you were deciding that you actually were going to make this film, you know, and you were going to put it together, was that kind of, a, I don't know if the hindrance is the right word, but did that was like, like a sharp intake of breath moment in terms of, oh, do I really want to do this film, you know, with the background, or did you just park that to one side sorry can you restate the question well i know you're saying because it, it came from like a personal your mother right. you know, this story but so when you're deciding you're definitely going to make this film after everyone had badgered you to that this is a great script and you know you go and do this but was there a moment you were like no i don't know this is a bit too based on too much of a personal experience or did you just park that to one side and you know how did that you work through that um i think I, I had doubts after we had finished shooting <laughs> okay. rather than before we were shooting. I, I think because at that point, a lot of people behind my back and stuff and, you know, actively like being like, no, no, this is a great thing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So like when you got when you got the good voices around you, pushing you and driving you, it's easy. But once you're in kind of that post-production stage and you're kind of on your own, it's uh, it's a little easier for the demons to sneak in your head to be like, are you sure this is the right thing? Um and it kind of ended up becoming a, you know what, I fucking finished this, just get, get it done. Like, just work on this, make it as good as you can do, do, you know, do, do the theme justice because it's something a lot of people deal with. So I, I tried to handle it as responsibly and as, um, and as respectfully as I could, uh, you know, from start to finish. Even even when I had my doubts later on in the process, and and believe me, even with the film done and submitted to festival, I still had my doubts for a while. But at a certain point, you just you just kind of let it out, and I don't know, take therapy and talk to your therapist about 
about all the negative feelings. And, it's know, it's kind that. of like buyer's remorse. I think that's what we call it. You know, you go and do something, you're after you think, oh, shit, did I really, should I really have done that? I suppose it's kind of... Yeah, yeah. It, I don't think there's a personal project I've made where I've not felt that. <laughs> no, no, and honestly, I get it. Um, and could this lend itself to be a feature? Surely that crossed your mind at some point. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I am thinking of developing it into a feature. Um, I'm developing it in, in another in another feature script at the same time, which one takes precedence, I'll figure out over the next few months. Um, but the feature version of this, I, I feel would be a significantly different piece, because it would get more room to explore a lot of things. Um, like this short, we see a very small part of Rajan's life, a very dramatic part of his life. But if it were a feature, we would it, it, we would have more room to explore other things like for example Rajan's father what what is he going through um you know there there are many things we don't we don't realize in our lives when we're growing up and we have an ill parent uh sometimes you know we may have a family member like our father who's being stoic about things or doing his absolute best but we don't realize it because we think we don't know what they're going through maybe because communication isn't so great between a father and a son yeah um especially in south asian households where there's like a certain type of masculinity that you got to deal with um and even my dad who i'd say was like a more evolved type of man <laughs> compared yeah, yeah, to yeah. a lot of our yeah. family like he he was generally more open with sharing his feelings but even even with what happened with my own mother it was it was difficult on him and uh it wasn't until much later in life we were actually able to open up to each other and we truly realized just um you know I mean I, he always knew it was difficult for me he I just didn't realize how truly difficult it was for him and how much he put on the line for the whole family while my mother was dealing with all that so Thank you. it's a kind of live and you learn sort of thing and I think uh, a feature would give more room to explore for explore certain themes like that thanks for sharing that with us Rishi and and finally a kind of a fun question but you might not see it this way because you're going to say oh Christ how do I answer this so, <laughs> So I'm um, I'm Steven Spielberg for a moment. Okay. And uh, I know of your work, and I've, I've got my agent to call you to have a meeting, and we've set up the meeting. So you're sitting with Steven Spielberg, and I'm saying to you, okay, look, there's a, a story that I'm developing. I want you to work on it, but you can only be the editor or the director or the writer. Okay, it's my next, block, next blockbuster. Which one of those three are you going to choose and why? <laughs> so in other words... What I'm trying to ask you badly is, given the opportunity of a lifetime, which of those three would you take? I'll be honest. Uh, I think I'd very politely decline and recommend a friend of mine for each one of those three roles. Really? What an interesting answer. Um, and, and the reason is, is I, 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 I honestly really strongly believe in, you know, as I rise, others have to rise as well. And um maybe part of it too is I'm a greedy bastard I really love being involved at every stage of making a film start to finish and I do have a lot of things I want to make start to finish um if it were a different opportunity presented by Mr. Spielberg uh that that could kind of help me meet that I would be more than happy to have that conversation but if it's um so strictly limited like that I would rather help people out who I think are fantastic and and you know can can be great forces in the industry because as we know this industry has a lot of issues mm. and we need we need people at the top who 
who will, you know, who can, who can help things change for the better. Um, you know, whether that's from the labor angle, whether that's from uh, opportunities for, you know, for all sorts of people, whether they're people of color, whether they're people from poor backgrounds, um, to prevent all sorts of exploitation that, that are really common in this industry, I would, I would rather do that. That is one of that is the most unexpected answer. I've asked that question only a couple of times. And you won't be surprised to learn that people begrudgingly answer one saying they wish they hadn't asked that question. But that is one of the most interesting, probably the most interesting and selfless answer I've ever heard. So hats off to you for that, for, for saying that. Um, no, I mean, honestly, I, I truly feel that we we do live in a really awful time in history, in human history. Um, we have the COP26 event that's happening in uh, Glasgow and they're serving beef and like haggis and stuff. And it's like, you're talking about reducing carbon, but you're doing this instead. Like, get your head out of your ass, you fucking idiots. And 400 like, fucking flights. I mean, where- Yeah, and, and I'm just like, you know, at the end of the day, I, a lot of a lot of the things we we want, you know, in this in this world to change, we 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 need we need we need to really fight for it and we need to be loud and we need to be incredibly inconvenient to to all these you know all the people in power because we're not we're we're headed to a really dark precipice so yeah. you know if if the only way for me to change stuff is to say no to things that that on paper are like the greatest opportunity for me in my career to get people that can be in that position that would better do it i'd rather do that because frankly you see enough suffering in your life. You you want better for people and not just yourself, um, because what's better for everybody is better for you than just looking out for number one. Um, and then that's my personal feeling, especially because you know I was born in the UK. I still remember my mother telling me stories about how she was able to get care at the NHS when she was trying to have a kid, and you know how sometimes that was a fraught process for her, health wise, and how the NHS was a really big boon for her in that era in the 1980s. And that's around the time Thatcher was still cutting stuff. And um, for me, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's amazing that the NHS still exists in the UK, despite oh, all the bullshit that, that these conservatives so, and, and like lucky. fake labor people are doing. We're so lucky. It's the, it's the one thing. I mean, um, my wife was unfortunate. She was, she's only 42, but uh, uh, three years, actually three years ago, pretty much this week, she had completely out of the blue. She had a heart attack, heart failure, and we didn't think she was going to make it. No health, underlying health issues. Really fit. We don't. We don't eat processed food. We don't smoke. She doesn't drink at all. And yada yada yada. Um, obviously, the NHS was there for her. We worked out it would probably have cost somewhere between, with all the care and the, the devices she had fit, probably somewhere close to a million pounds. Wouldn't be surprised. And of course, we didn't pay for it. We'll pay for it through tax, but. It's an insignificant sum we paid towards it. Yeah, it's the one thing in the UK. It doesn't matter if you're left, right, extreme left, extreme right. If the NHS, if they were to really radically try and change it for the worst, they probably well not probably there would be civil uprising because it's one thing that binds this country. Thank God. I mean, you know, I I feel I feel this is one place where Americans and uh, Brits should should take a page out of the French and just like really make like just be willing to burn shit down more regularly because yeah. the fact is we're, we're past the point of waiting for slow change. We've been past that point for 30, 40 plus years. Um, and, and people, people really have to kind of step up. Cause the fact is like, 
you know, my experiences with my mother, my mother, I, I lived without my mother when I was in high school, straight through college. Yeah. Um, some formative years from age 13 onward, I didn't have my mother in my life because my father couldn't afford to take care of her in the U.S. So he took her back to Africa where he could afford the care. Yeah. Um, so I had to live in the U.S. on my own for so long. And frankly speaking, Obamacare's hot dog shit. Like it's just a steaming trash fire that people can't even afford the healthcare on those marketplaces, even though they're more readily available and ostensibly more transparent. Um, so, you know, between people not getting healthcare, between us having climate crisis, it's, it's, we, we really have to look out for each other and do what we can to, to get people that'll actually make stuff change. And if they're people that don't want to make stuff change, well, fucking make those people in power's lives miserable. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things like, Everyone loves superheroes, but I grew up reading, you know, Judge Dredd, and <laughs> along with Brilliant. that, I got a nice, healthy skepticism yeah, yeah. of people in power. Um, and I think it's one of those things from uh, from from just kind of growing up, kind of across different cultures. I got to see a lot of things that I feel a lot of people, you know, maybe in the United States don't get to see, and don't necessarily have that same skepticism because, like at least for certain parts of the population there's always this great undercurrent of mythology and hope about the u.s but it's uh i don't know uh, it's a tough place and i'm starting <laughs> starting down the path where i could ramble for another three hours <laughs> to one of our festivals, 